The Lord is good. His love endures forever. He is righteous and He is just. He is good and He is holy. We could have titled every sermon in our Exodus series, A Good and Holy God. Um, But today, that is the title of our sermon, A Good and Holy God. It's found in Exodus 21, verses 12 through 36. During our time in the Ten Commandments, we've spent much of it looking at different ways that we break the commands of God. Often these were ways that we might not have considered before our study into the Ten Commandments. These are ways that we might have overlooked it's, or maybe even intentionally ignored. Um, we've spent some time considering in our study of the Ten Commandments how to keep these Ten Commandments. Uh, in a better way than what we have done, the Lord in His Law of Covenant, in His Book of Covenant, is giving us case by case, example by example, applicable ways to keep His Ten Commandments. Which is where our study last week was found and our study today and over the next few weeks will be found. Now at first glance, the case laws that we studied last week and those over the next few weeks are hard to connect with. They, they might seem to you outdated or out of context. Only a small portion of people, after all, have to worry about their, their bull or their ox or, or what their goat does. Uh, now, with more popularity of those little bitty goats on the internet that jump and like kick as they jump off everything, and, or the ones that pass out, more people are probably having goats. But in our history, less, in our most recent history, less people have had to worry about those things. And since we don't have servants, we don't need to worry about how we we treat our servants. It it may seem out of date to you just by looking at these things at at face value. These cases may also seem cruel to you. As we study, we'll look at laws that command a child to be put to death for striking their parents. Which in my house, we still hold to this rule. Uh, at At least on some level. My children will spend a great portion of their life wishing they were dead if this ever happens. So these may seem cruel at first glance, but, but you aren't the average Christian, are you? And this isn't the average study. And, and you know that God is saying something to us much richer and much deeper than we can see at face value. And besides that, His precepts and laws, they are foundational and they are pertinent on that foundational level. And that if we dissect what the Lord is saying with each command, then we will surely see some principle or principles for loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and loving, the, loving our neighbor as ourselves. After all, the Lord was not shy about allowing us to know. He, was, he let us in on a secret of what the purpose behind His Ten Commandments, what the purpose behind the Law of Covenants, actually is. The purpose is that we may love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And if all of this is true, then studying what we're studying is very important. 
As a matter of fact, friends, the moral law of God as given in the Ten Commandments must, must shape our ethic for living. We need some objective moral standard to base our law off of. Otherwise, what we have, now this is important, if we don't have a moral standard to base our laws from, what we have is an imposition of the ethic of the majority being forced upon the minority, all while deriding and eliminating dissenting views. There is an absolute standard for living. That standard is good, and that standard comes from a good and holy God. So we study verses like these to know more about God and how to follow Him. Last week we, dis- we discussed how God restrained the effects of the fall by setting standards and limits on how servants should be treated. This week we will see how God is just and good and righteous and how He is holy in revealing case-by-case examples of keeping the second commandment. And how we can pursue goodness and holiness as individuals, but also as a people when we follow God in this manner. I want you to pray with me this morning as we beg God to meet with us on a true and, and, and just a way that is understandable and, and, and applicable for us. God, You are so good. And You are so holy. You are separated. There is none like You. You are above and beyond. You are far out. And we cannot comprehend Your goodness and Your holiness We can only understand a taste of it. But Lord, in Your mercy and Your grace, will You pour out Your goodness and Your holiness upon us so that we can experience more and more what it is like to know You through these characteristics. Lord, I would rather personally be enriched by Your goodness and enriched by Your holiness than enriched by your love if I had to choose. But Lord, in your goodness and your holiness, you don't make us choose because you pour out your goodness, you pour out your holiness, you pour out your love, you pour out your kindness, and and we get to experience the fullness or at least a large portion of all of that. God, would you teach us from your word today? Would you help us to be people who are astute, who are alert, who listen, and who follow. We love you so much and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our verses today were not just standards of living, but they were also given to the people as governmental codes and laws to be established. Now, We understand that we are not in a theocracy anymore in the sense that Moses and his people ruled the people by theology and by law. But we would be foolish to think that these laws don't matter as it concerns our ethic for living. We would be foolish to think that these laws and these standards can be separated from the way we deal with people and the way we follow God. 
And the truth is, friends, that any good and just society of people will follow these laws and the other precepts that God has established. Our text today deals with three areas, three cases, where God is not only giving people a standard for living, but He is showing people how to live in the already established standard in the Ten Commandments. Three cases. These three cases are this, and they will be our three headings today. Roman number one, two, and three. The first case that we're going to look at is capital crimes. Capital crimes. The, fir- the second case is personal injury, and the third is negligence. Now what I want us to do is I want us to look at these examples and discuss these today and, and in our missional community groups. And I think what we can do is I think we can draw some helpful examples from these. And at the end, um, I want us to see what these cases tell us about a good and holy God. The first is capital offense. Look at verse 12. Capital offense. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father and his mother shall be put to death. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. We sit here and we think, well, these are old and these are antiquated and And in a sense, they're old and antiquated because we stopped obeying God. In the first part of the book of the covenant, we discussed slave laws. And and now we're moving into capital offense. This is literally committing murder. But it's it's not just any murder. This is typically premeditated murder. If any man strikes a man and kills him, he shall surely be put to death. The act of murder, the act of premeditated murder is as closely tied to breaking the sixth commandment as any other act of killing. It is what God intended by the sixth command. But then there's a little caveat here. But if he did not lie in wait, this is murder where the perpetrator was, um, excuse me, but if he did lie in wait, excuse me, it says not lie, but also, excuse me, here we go. This is murder where the perpetrator was Waiting, the one that we're talking about is murdered. The perpetrator was waiting. I don't know where my outline went right there. Sorry. Plotting and ready to kill. This is breaking the law of God, the law that says do not kill. Premeditated murder is at the heart of the sixth command. This is not justifiable homicide, which we discussed in the 10th commandment. This is not even uh, sixth commandment. This is not even accidental. The Lord requires a life for a life in the instance of premeditated murder. But he does make concessions for accidental death. For someone who did not plot to kill, there's the part that I was trying to get at, but killed where God let it happen, or our verse says, let him fall. That means that uh, they were fighting maybe, or they were doing something happened, and the Lord, just by his providence, let the person die. The Lord provides a place for that person to flee. So there's a distinguishment between The person who lies in wait, the person who premeditates, the person who thinks about it, plots it out and plans it out, 
and then the person who kills by accident. The Lord provides for the person who kills by accident a place to flee. These places were called cities of refuge. There were six cities of refuge that were established amongst God's people. And we have really vivid imagery here. Because what would happen is, when a person was caught in a criminal act like murder, and sometimes it was premeditated murder, often it was not premeditated murder, what they would do is they would flee to the city. And since the altar was considered the most holy place, they would run to the altar, and they would grab the altar so that no one would kill them. We see this example. The thought is, I guess, that the altar is the most holy place, and that surely you wouldn't kill somebody at the most holy place. That's the, the same idea on a lower scale is, how, would you, how could you say that in church? Like, that's the same idea on a lower scale. You know, you think that the church building or whatever is a holy place. And at the time, the altar was a holy place. And, and you think, how could you say this in church? Well, how could you kill me at the altar? That's what this, this person is doing. It's really vivid imagery here. And in, um, we have this example with Joab. Joab was caught in murder, and, um, and he was running from Solomon. And so he grabbed the horns of the bull at the altar to save his life. And Joab was eventually pulled from the altar, and he was killed because the murder he committed was not justifiable. He had shed innocent blood. So the people would go to one of the altars in the city of refuge, and they would hold fast until the crime could be sorted out. But the Lord says... If a person is caught in premeditated murder, if it's seen justly that he's caught in premeditated murder, you can take him from my altar and you can punish him with a death sentence if he killed in this premeditated way. The second capital crime was seen in a way a child treated their parents. Whoever strikes his father or mother or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now, this, is, this may seem harsh, but strikes here is not just hitting like a toddler might do when they're mad still in my house. Yeah. Strikes here is hitting with the intent to harm or kill. Strikes here is not just like, you know, getting mad and, you know, pushing or slapping. Strikes here is is hitting with the intent to harm or kill. And cursing is essentially divorcing or publicly profaning your parents. Now the Lord takes us up to another level because in our first little section on capital crimes, death was required as the punishment for murder. But the Lord says here, if the intent was to hurt your parents, you are breaking the fifth command in such a way that you should be put to death. Friends, this may seem harsh from your perspective, but that is primarily because you come from the most spoiled society in the history of the world, and one that has lost respect for authority a long time ago. So God placed us in our family through His sovereign plan, and it is a direct violation of His will to harm our parents physically, really in any way, but physically especially, and the punishment here is stated as death. Our parents are the closest image to the Godhead that is placed in our lives on this earth. And there is a massive amount of importance placed on the way we treat them. What I mean by that is our parents are our God-given authority. Our parents are placed in uh, in our path by God in order to keep us in line so that we may ultimately follow His will. 
The third capital offense is one we discussed last week, and that is kidnapping. <coughs> Excuse me. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. This law, along with the first two, are the most heinous ways to break each of their respective commandments. Of course, this is breaking the eighth commandment of not stealing. And we discussed how this was the sin of Joseph's brothers. How this was the sin of slavery in many parts of the world over history, but also as seen in America from around the 1500s until the 1800s. This forbids kidnapping in any kind of way, for any reason, at any time, and the penalty is not just a slap on the wrist. The penalty is not a fine. The penalty is death. What we can see from these regulations on capital offense is very important to us today. We see that capital punishment was first instituted in the law of God through Moses. It was the expected punishment of someone who killed someone in a premeditated manner, who struck his parents, or who kidnapped another person. Therefore, to take a life when the crime calls for it is not only right, but it is God-honoring and God-glorifying. You need to hear that. It's not only right. Capital punishment is not only right when the crime calls for it. It is God-honoring and God-glorifying. To take a life that has taken a life in this way is not just about the punishment for the crime. So many people get caught up. Well, why don't you show grace? Why don't you show mercy? It's not just about the punishment for the crime. This is very important in your ideas on capital punishment. Capital punishment is done this way, not just for the punishment of that person, but for preserving humanity. Preserving humanity. It is about making sure that the things this person perpetrated never happen again. If a person kidnaps another person, they should, at least by this person, if a person kidnaps another person, they should not be alive to do it again. That's the view that the Bible holds. That's the view that I hold. If a person kidnaps a person, they should be put to death. If a person kidnaps a person, they should not be able to do it again. If a person lies in wait for another person, they should not be alive to do it again. What we also see as we examine this further is that capital punishment was never given out by man. It was never given out by an individual, but only by a perceived and hopeful just government. By people who examined the ev evidence, who had two or more witnesses, and judged justly. Capital punishment does not break the sixth command if it's done in that way. However, Christians, capital punishment can be something that we disapprove of if we cannot be sure that the judgment was just and if the punishment was not based solely on the crime. If the punishment was based on a person's race, ethnicity, or background, then capital punishment, even performed by government entities, breaks the sixth command of God. Capital punishment is not unjust in and of itself. It does not break the sixth command, but it is just if that punishment preserves the peace and unity in the community, if it preserves another life. There's something else we, need, we must see under this, and it will develop quite well over this passage. The Lord is compassionate 
and true to His Word. There have been codes and laws written throughout time. The two that I think of, and it's probably because it's the only ones I remember throughout history, are the Constitution and Hammurabi's Code. Code. Those are the two that I think of because it's probably the only ones I remember. But we see early on that God shows His compassion in writing the Ten Commands because they were the first recorded codes that cared for those people who were not traditionally counted. It was groundbreaking. It was unheard of to write a law protecting a slave. But that's just what God did. They were considered possessions and during their servanthood did not have legal status of any kind in most societies. But there are also two other groups of people mentioned in the text. One I will develop later. But one is this. In this book, uh, in this book of covenant, there is an emphasis of equality placed on women. Women, again, were considered just above a possession, just above a slave. But God puts emphasis on the equality of women, and they're placed on the same level as men. Here and in other places, the Lord elevated women to the same level as men. We see it in the Gospel, in the New Testament also. When it was accepted worldwide that women were just a little more than possessions, the Lord says, if you strike your father or mother. He could have said, if you strike your father. He could have said, if you strike your parents. But he specifically said, if you strike your father or mother. In the fifth command, he doesn't just say, honor your father. He says, honor your father or and mother. If you, can, if you curse your father or mother. Women were elevated in these texts and in others. But also something fascinating that we see from basically the beginning of law giving is God elevates the rights of a baby in the womb. He elevates the rights of a baby in the womb. We'll see that in a second. Our verses, even though they are talking about death and capital punishment for a capital crime, they really show the compassionate and just nature of God. Capital crimes is the first. The second is personal injury. It's found in 18 through 27. Look at verse 18. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, the man does not die but takes to his bed. Then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only if he sh- uh, only he shall pay. Listen, this is important. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, again, this is going to be a little bit hard to taste right now, but understand with the context of everything else we've uh, read, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When when men uh, strive together and hit a pregnant woman, um, I think the I think the context here is not when they, not when two men are going after a pregnant woman, but when two men are fighting and a, a lady gets caught up in the mix. But when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. Here's that uh, care for life in the mother's womb. The one who is hit, the one who has hit her, shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay 
Listen, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. I want to stop you right here. I don't think it should be the prerogative of Christians to murder abortionists. Because I know that in that instance, vengeance is the Lord, and they will, abortionists will, unless they repent and believe the gospel, they will absolutely and objectively spend eternity in hell for the crimes they are committing. Absolutely and objectively, and you can't tell me any different, unless they repent and believe the gospel and turn away from performing abortions. But remember, the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, these laws were never to be performed by vigilantism. They were never to be performed by people. They were to be performed by just governments who acted in a just way with the evidence and witnesses. Verse 26, when a man strikes the eye of a slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of a slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Now, not every case of personal injury is mentioned in our text, but a wide range of principles are covered by what God mentions in this text, and they cannot be overlooked. Specifically, these verses deal with bodily harm being done to someone where death is not a result. Now, these acts are obviously handled in different ways, but if there is a common thread, it is, it is that the Lord institutes restitution to those directly affected by the act and by those who perpetrated the act. The perpetrator should pay for what they have done to the other person. Here we see a few examples. One example, when two men are fighting and, and one strikes another with a stone. This example is a, a regular fight, uh, whether it's out of anger or drunkenness or whatever it is. But in a moment of rage, one strikes another with a stone, or he beats him so badly with his fist that the one who is beaten so badly takes to his bed. Now the case states that the, if the, the man does not die, but he recovers to some point. Now if he recovers, the man who struck him should pay restitution, the Bible says, for the time lost and for all of his medical care. Here's what the Bible's saying there. The man should pay to get the other man back to where he was before the fight. You understand that, right? Back to where he was before the fight. Not for mental and emotional damage, but back to where he was before the fight. Now, I mentioned this last week, but there is a call among social justice warriors for reparations to be paid uh, for slavery and injustice done to African-American people um, by people living now for slavery that happened 200 plus years ago or injustice that happened, you know, 50 to 70 to 100 years ago. Now, verses like this and many others are reasons why I don't hold this view. I said it last week that reparations are anti-gospel, but let me tell you why. The gospel not only forgives you of your personal past, but it breaks the bond of family history in the first generation or even five generations ago. Now, we still have to pay for our sins, and sometimes we have to pay for the sins of our father. But if our family has been fleeing from sin from generation after generation, we are not obligated to be held to the debt that was already paid. And it lays it out here. If a man recovers, he shall be paid only for his time lost and his medical care. But there's something else I want you to see. And I'm not a person who's pro-lawsuit. You need to hear me say that. But that being said, if a person injures you or your family 
they should be held responsible for restitution. At least to the point that gets you and your family back to where you were before the accident. And if you can't physically be put back to where you were before the accident, there should be some restitution that helps you in your long-term care. And sometimes, even if it's a Christian, it is necessary to take those people to the legal system to get what should be and justly done for you. So if you cannot handle this privately and you cannot handle this out of the court system, then God here is giving you a a way, God here is giving you a standard to follow, to go to, to get this restitution that is deserved. We see God take two more unprecedented steps. And I know the first one is hard to read and understand, but both of these set up rules to protect slaves and children in the womb. Both people considered at the time and throughout society to be less than a person. And both had little to no protections. The Bible says, When a man strikes a slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he shall not be avenged, for the slave is his money. Basically, I mean, that's hard to read. That is hard to read. But he's saying, basically, if you kill your own slave, your punishment is that you've lost the slave and you've lost your money. That's hard to read. It's hard to understand. But if we understand the context within servanthood and slavery that we talked about last week, it it does make it more understandable at least, not um, something we condone. When a man strikes the eye of a slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Again, these things are hard to read and understand, but they are acts of grace from the Lord to make protections for the slave. And it was the master's right in this time and throughout history for corporal punishment, just like they would punish their children. But many times that got got out of hand. And it was God who made laws that showed that slaves were his image bearers and should be treated as such by those who wanted to follow him. God was the first person to make protections for for slaves. The next one is just wonderful. And I will introduce it to you here and I will develop it in my last point. But when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judge judges determine. But if there is harm, then he shall pay life for life. And it goes on to do the other ones. Now here is a scenario where two men are fighting and a pregnant woman gets caught up in the mix for whatever reason she is struck and it causes her to go into labor, but there is no harm for the baby. Again, restitution must be paid in the form of a fine. But the law says if there is harm, that is harm to the baby, not to the woman, or even to the woman, but if there is harm, if there is death, then the payment shall be paid equal to the crime. This is the first instance of defense of the unborn in the Bible. This is the first instance of a fetus having rights. I want to speak to you more on that in a second, but I want to speak to you on the last point, the last case, and that is negligence. Negligence, found in verse 28 through 36. When an ox scores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and his flesh shall be eaten, shall not be eaten, excuse me, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But, and this is important, and we're going to get on some touchy things with this, but if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned 
but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall be put to death. Wow. You see how that relates to current culture? Can you see one how that relates to current If you hadn't seen it yet, if you hadn't seen it yet, yeah, you'll see it in a second. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for his redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son and daughter, he shall be dealt with according to the same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall be given to the master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to his owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another, so that it dies, then he shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. If it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his." Now you're thinking, how does any of this apply to me? But I think we're going to step on some toes, potentially. The first criminal act dealt with premeditated murder. The second, with accidents or injuries, where restitution was required. And the third is a little different. The third dealt with personal injury, mostly caused by negligence, mostly having to do with animals. The principle here dealt primarily with people who by their own negligence caused harm to another person or to another person's property. Now, I won't stay on this very long, but I want to point out a few things in these cases and then a few interesting thoughts from this section of the text. The first case says, if an ox kills a human, it shall be put to death. But if the owner and the owner shall not be liable for the person for restitution or the person's death, but if the owner knew that the ox had a history of violence, and he did not put it to death, then, or, or keep it up, is what it says, those were the two options, then the owner would be liable for restitution and for the death of that person. He, his responsibility would be as if he killed the person himself. So what's the principle that was already stated in that instance? A life for a life. He shall be put to death. It's crazy. If his animal is known as being reckless, and he does not keep his animal up, or he does not put his animal down, and his animal kills somebody else, he shall be put to death. But if a ransom is offered, then his life can be bought at a cost um, of the offended party. The same rules apply to the sons and daughters, and then there's also a rule that applies for slaves, 30 shekels of silver. Again, this is the person's property at the time, and it's God making provisions for his life. Anna and I adopted a dog probably in our second year of marriage. We had Max, and we adopted a dog, and his name was Tom. And he was, he obviously, it was another boxer, and he'd obviously been abused or hurt in his past. And so much so, like, when he walked, and I know other boxers that are not abused do this, but... When he walked up to you, like most dogs walk up straight with their body, he walked up like this. He walked up with his tail and his head at the same time like this. And um, after a while, we started seeing gashes and cuts on Max's body. We saw his ears were bleeding and his, you know, and they were playing heavily. So we're like, well, maybe that's it. But then we noticed that during eating time, the dog would 
snap Max away until he was done with his food, and then Max was allowed to eat. And then one time he got out of the front yard and out in the front yard, and I tried to get him back in. And as I'm, I have him cornered in the front at the front door, and as I'm going to grab his collar, he snaps at me. And he goes for my hand and gets my hand. And so uh, for personal responsibility to my neighbor, personal responsibility to those that would visit my house, I took the dog back and I reported what he had done. Um, although the animal shelter made me look like I was the problem, um, I, I did what I could do to report what the dog had done. Now, here is a relative real-life example. In my opinion, the Bible commands that a dog or any other animal that we have, if it is violent, it should be either segregated or put up at all times from other people and from other animals, or it should be put down without a doubt. This is an example of what the, what the Lord is talking about with these. It's the same type thing. We're not going to have an ox that's going to gore somebody else, probably. Maybe that's kind of like farm goals, you know, whatever. We're not going to have an ox that gore somebody else, but we may have animals that cause harm to other people. And if they are seen as violent, if they can't be segregated, then they need to be put down. There's another case to look at in 33. When a man opens a pit... When a man opens a pit, this is again addressing carelessness, negligence, lack of consideration of our neighbors. The equivalent today would be if you had a pool with no fence around it, or not locking your guns up, or, or other dangerous things. Or maybe it's not caring for a campsite that starts a forest fire, or texting or drinking while driving. This is carelessness that causes some form of harm to your brother or your sister. And the last case was another animal killing another animal, which the same rules of the first part of this case apply. If the animal doesn't have a history of violence, then restitution is made, but it's not as harsh. But if there's a stiffer penalty, if the animal has a history of violence. All of these cases are vastly important to God, and they should also be to us. They show the goodness of God and His just nature and His holiness. Now, this is a simple reason why we read Psalm 103 to start our sermon today. The Lord was meticulous in all of these cases because He is just. He is righteous. He satisfies us. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with love. Psalm 103.7, He makes righteous and ju righteousness and justice for all those who are oppressed. <coughs> he was way ahead of the... <coughs> excuse me. He was way ahead of the times making rules for slaves and for women and for babies in the womb. He made the life of a slave matter. He made the life of a woman matter. He made the life of a baby matter. They are image bearers in the eyes of God and more than just possessions, more than just the false idea of a clump of cells. He made known these covenants to Moses and that His righteousness would endure and His justice would endure from generation to generation, for those who kept His covenants and commands. The Lord is installing for us not only a set of rules to follow, but specific details and cases as to how they might play out in everyday life. That we may be without excuse, but also that we might, and most importantly, pursue holiness. Because God was so far ahead of the times, 
as it concerned righteousness and justice, which made his people who followed him so far ahead of the times. If we follow the Lord in the way he has prescribed, friends, we will never be on the wrong side of history. The Lord is ahead of his times in the way he has written his laws and commands. Therefore, in Israel, the servant had rights where he did not anywhere else. In Israel, the fetus had rights where he did not anywhere else. In Israel, women had rights where they did not in most other societies. God is not an oppressive God, but an inclusive God. He's a loving God. He sets rules that protect us, especially those... He sets rules that protect everyone, but especially those who are called by Him and love Him and keep His commandments. Before we leave, I want to give you three little ideas that we'll go through quickly that we can take from this. Three practical ideas that God gives us from these three case laws. The first is this. Every punishment should be fitting of the crime. Every punishment should be fitting of the crime. Now, I've mentioned this before, but we have this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth verse here. Now, this verse is often taken out of context, and it even appears a little bit that Jesus is trying to correct us on uh, the way we perceive this verse. Uh, or maybe even it appears that he's trying to eliminate it not too long after he says that he came to fulfill the whole law. But this is not, <coughs> this is not the case. <coughs> to understand eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, you have to understand these three things. The, this law, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was a call for just punishment. It was a call for a just punishment. The general rule is, and you know this to be true, that payback is supposed to be worse than the first sin that was instigated amongst you, right? There are sayings that you cannot say here, but payback is a, a bad thing, right? And that is why, G, and that's the general rule of human society, that payback is to be worse. But Jesus says it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Meaning that payback, that justice should be measured equal to the crime that was committed. This rule was applied because the Lord did not want His people taking vengeance. After all, He said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And often in payback, instead of it being an eye for an eye... It's an eye for a father. Instead of being a tooth for a tooth, it's a tooth for your whole family. The punishment did not fit the crime. So we see an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, so the punishment would fit the crime. It's a call for just punishment. The law, this law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was never enforced by individuals. This is not vigilante. This is not, um, um, okay, you hurt me, I come hurt you. This is hopefully always played out in a just court system by just laws, by people acting justly. The law was never enforced by individuals. The punishment was not always literal. You heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was not always literal. We see this even in our, um, even our text. But the vast majority of the time, the Lord and His people made financial restitution instead of an eye for an eye, instead of a life for a life. Like when the man is in the fight uh, and he hits his neighbor with a stone. The command wasn't for the neighbor to grab an equal, an equal sized stone and hit the man equally until the man was in his same position. Or for someone in the neighbor's family to do that. What was the rule? The rule was that the man made restitution until the neighbor got back to where he was. He took care of his medical bills. He made restitution. 
So an eye for an eye was not often played out in the, in the way, in a literal way. But it was, what it was, friends, it was the sealing of judgment. It was the sealing of judgment. You know, this was not how Liam Neeson operates. You know, in Taken, like they take his daughter, and instead of getting her back, like he brutalizes and mutilates all of these criminals because he has a specific set of skills um, to take care of that. There was a movie, Ransom, with Mel Gibson back in the day. I think it was Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson, before it's over, they take his son, and before it's over, the body count was you know higher than a, a game of Call of Duty. But, but the point was, the point I'm trying to make is, these guys don't fit these qualifications. The, the punishment was to fit the crime. The punishment was not always literal, and it was never enforced by individuals. Ultimately, the Lord is saying we should be just in our punishment. There's another takeaway from God, what God teaches us about justice and righteousness. When we act diligently and responsibly, we are loving our neighbor. When we act diligently and responsibly, we are loving our neighbor. This whole section of the law of covenant was God giving his people a way to love their neighbor as themselves. By covering up the pit you dug, by controlling or euthanizing a dangerous animal, by protecting your neighbor's property, we are showing love to them. What this tells me also is that worship, worshiping God by keeping His second commandment is not an individual thing, but a communal thing. We don't drive drunk on our cell phones or erratically because it affects the community. We don't allow our families to hurt others, or uh, excuse me, we don't allow our animals to hurt others or our families, but we don't allow our animals to hurt others and honestly, in the case of my dad's neighbor, bark all night, because it affects, it affects the community. But we can, take it, we can take it further. We give people what they are owed. We pay restitution when it is deserved. We don't litter. We have clean yards. We have well-kept houses. We are kind in stores. We are kind in restaurants. We put grocery baskets back in the cart corral, for goodness sakes. It's 20 feet from you. Quit being lazy. I mean, I could go on and on and on. But these are things I do want you to sort of take with you and think about in your missional community group. How as a community, through consideration and diligence, can we love each other like we love ourselves? The last is this, we are image bearers, which makes us all, which makes all life precious. It's the last takeaway from today. We are image bearers, which makes all life precious. Something that is wonderful with the Lord. And I've taken so much time, so I'm not going to be long on this. But listen, the baby inside the mama with the Lord has as much value as the baby in, his, in her arms. Abortion is always murder. It is always reprehensible, and it is never acceptable. It is forgivable, and people can recover, but it is never right. With God, the slave is an image bearer and not a piece of property. Every life mattered. Not because of some worldly system that valued a person based on what they could give him, but because all life is God's and all human life is created in the image of God. 
We love the Lord our God with everything that we have. And we love our neighbor as ourselves when we see that all life is precious. Friends, the thing that I've seen from all of this and will continue as we go throughout these themes is this. That the laws of God are impossible to keep with the strength of man. That the only way that we are able to love our neighbor as ourselves and love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength is if the Lord has quickened our heart, if He has brought us to salvation, and if we are trusting and depending upon Him to to be able to follow Him. Are you trusting Him as it concerns the way you treat your neighbor? Are you trusting Him as it concerns the way you see justice? The way you see right and wrong, good and evil? Are you trusting Him and His abilities to be able to keep that? Because friends, what you need to know is that when your strength fails to keep the commands of God, that doesn't mean you should give up. That's not the time you should quit. That's the time that you should put your trust in the Lord. And that's the time where you truly realize what biblical Christianity is about. When your strength has failed, when your ability has failed, when you can't skirt by just based on talent or ability, and you have to trust in the Lord, that is when you realize what being a Christian is truly about. Would you surrender to the Lord? Would you trust in the Lord to give you the strength to obey and do His will today? Would you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? God, You are so good and we trust You. and We love You. We rely on You. We depend upon You. We cannot do this on our own. We don't have the strength. We don't have the power. We don't have the might. There is no hope in our life to be able to do this on our own power, on our own scale, on our own wisdom. We trust You. We love You. We depend on You. We rely on You. We need You. We know that You hold us and You take care of us while we wait for You to show us Your will and Your glory. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.